Ethical disclaimer. While Diana and I are psychologists, we aren't your psychologists. Reverse psychology is not a replacement for therapy. If you're interested in speaking with a therapist, please check out some of the links in our episode description. Now, on with the show. How's the headphone smell? Headphone? Yeah, you sniffed your headphone before you put it on. Mm. Your earbud. Well, it was in your ear, so I was smelling it to see if it smelled bad. How's my ear smell? Hairy. I do shampoo my ear hair. Hi. Which is this it? Are this, we on? This is it. Let's reframe that. <laughs> are we only on? We are more than on. This is Reverse Psychology the Podcast. Whoop it's whoop. a comedy bow, psychology bow, bow. comedy psychology podcast. And mm-hmm. we're two psychologists. Comology. I am Dr. Diana. Whoop. I'm a licensed psychologist. You. I'm BCBA. Board certified. What are you? I'm Dr. Mike. I am a adult clinical psychologist. The way that we're saying it, though, well, the way that you're saying it, adult. I'm an adult. I'm also an adult, but... Um, I'm over 18. Like, the distinction that people make, like, oh, I'm a child psychologist, I'm an adult. It doesn't, it's not like a f- official, formal thing. It's just, like, more related to your training. Yeah. My training is across the lifespan. It's just over the past couple of years, I've focused more on adult. Yeah. I'm a human psychologist. I wouldn't really... I mean, I work with adults as in parents, but I don't do adult therapy. Oh, yeah. I used to do a lot of child therapy. Oh. Kind of miss it. Well, you can always sit in for me if you want. Okay, tag me in. <laughs> okay. I'll just... I'll get you a wig. You know what we should do is we should put a turnbuckle in your office. and What's I'll a s- turnbuckle? It's like the corner of a wrestling ring. And then I'll sit on it waiting and then when i feel like you're like you're struggling i'll like reach out and flap my hand around no, and you like, tag me in and then i give aggressive therapy to the kid it's like the chair what's that game show not game singing competition the voice the voice where they flip flip the chair around yeah it'll be like that when you think i do that in therapy when i feel like the, <laughs> the client's not working hard enough he's like oh, i really couldn't get my homework done and then i press the arm of my chair and i spin around and turn my back to him it would be like I was on one side of that and you were on the other side. And then when I felt like I was not doing, or when you felt like you could do a better job, you I would never press the button then. Or if I felt like if the child I needed felt a break. Like, the child felt like <laughs> he needed a different therapist. <laughs> this is kids choice therapy where the kids are in charge. Yep. Good call. Thank you. Let's, let's make and patent that chair. TM. Yeah. What would the chair be called? The ego chair. All right. That's a therapeutic technique. Did you ever hear about that? Yeah, I the do. The ego chair? Yeah. What is it? <laughs> call you out. Okay. I'm going to cash in this call out coupon you give me for Christmas. It's like, is it the empty chair? Nope. It's like an empty chair? Nope. It's like where you put your ego? Nope. It's like where you chuck your ego? Yep. <laughs> you put a little ego muffin on it? A little... Yeah, the ego chair. <laughs> it's a toaster <laughs> with a little back on it. You put a little ego muffin on it with a hat? Uh-huh. All right, so I got it. <laughs> yep. Give me, give me the coupon back. Uh, it's a group therapy technique where the person sits in a chair and then everyone in the group takes turns giving them a compliment and the person in the chair just has to take it. Why is that called an ego chair? It's a boost your ego. Hmm. It's it's a wildly... I When I used to work in a psych hospital, one therapist used to always do it. And it's like a wildly risky treatment because you're relying on everyone in the group to act appropriately. So you would always or so often get someone that's like... Even though you're a huge bitch, I like your shoes. It's mm. like, eh, it's kind of the, not the point of this activity. Mm. Yeah, groups are can be unwieldy. Yeah. What's up with psychology today? Psychology today? You know, this would be fun. Let's see what's on the front page of psychology today right now. This is our new segment. We have nothing to talk about. No, I have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I know you do. You've been prepping all morning. I've been prepping all morning. Psychology today. Okay. Here we are. Oh, do you want me to read it out loud? <laughs> the number one article in psychology today right now. One is, can dogs count? And is Billy really an Einsteinian genius? I'm not going to read this article, but my guess is no. Dogs I can't sa- count. I saw that dog eating shit earlier, so I don't think it's a genius. Uh, the other article... Is it? But did it taste like pudding? <laughs> it, did, it did not. It tasted like chocolate pudding and that dog was doubly stupid. It was eating shit that tasted like dog poison. <laughs> The other article is top 100 jobs, where's psychologist on the list? The U.S. News publishes a listing of the best jobs each year based on salary, security. Oh, I security. thought you meant top 100 psychology jobs. No, no, no. no. This is just jobs. jobs in general. 
Where, Steve Jobs. Where is Blow on this list? The top two jobs are software developer and statistician. Okay. Okay. The majority of the top 20 jobs are listed are mostly in healthcare, where a PA is number three, dentist is number four. Wait, what is a, what is a job? Wait, no, I'm just kidding. What is a, wait, top jobs? Top jobs. Well, how are they measuring it? Income, job security, and uh, the potential for work-life balance. Okay. Where a software developer has the best one, which that makes sense. They make a lot of money. Yeah. Mostly work from home. Mm-hmm. Oh, a gynecologist is tied for number nine with hmm. an oral surgeon. Hmm. Where are psychologists? Ooh, number 39. It literally oh. says psychologist? Yes, I don't agree with this, though, because it said a psychologist is 39 with a median salary of $97,000 and a degree of master's, which is, that's Whoa. you're not a psychologist if you have a master's. Yeah, that would, and who, what master's person is made? A median 97,000. Yeah. School psychologist is number 45. Oh, well. All right. Everyone just forget everything I was just talking about. Are, did they highlight the psychology related ones? No. He just said, where is psychologist on this top 100 job list? Without questioning the validity of the list in general. Oh, wait. But are you supposed to find it? You're supposed to go through the 100 and say. Oh, like, th- this is a person for psychology today that found an article by US News. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. But they posted the top 100 jobs and then they said, where is psychology? And then you have to find it? Well, he said it pretty early in the article. Well, he identified the ones that were psychology related? Psychologist is just one job listed on it. Okay, wait, hold on. I'm gonna come okay, look at the article. Let's, let's back up. Okay. US News. Okay. They just published a list. Can I just come look at, the, I think come, it'll be easier. Come sit on my lap and look at this. <laughs> We're going to set this in real time. I'm not going to cut a moment out of this. What if I? What if you came over and you're just porn playing? So, see. Oh, I thought. Okay, wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go down. Okay. Okay. Oh, I thought I thought you were looking at the list. No, I'm looking yeah, at Ronald like Riggio. You're saying it made it sound like you were looking at the list. I know. Okay. Nice back. No. Oh. Cartographers are number 18. That's awesome. Well, they they are they like work on GPS technology. They're we are locating new oceans every day, Diana. Okay, let's move on. This is bad. I know you said, hey, let's go on psychology today. <laughs> you did, you did. All right, what are what are we doing today? What are we talking about? Don't you today? have a review you want to read? Okay, ready? Yep. Buckle up. Should we say her last name? Oh, it's Shauna. Maybe just Shauna. S H A W N A. They say, you know, oh, they is the one of the words of the year. Did you hear that? It's not the word of the year. I mean, it's the word of the year. Officially added to the OED, Oxford English Dictionary. They wasn't in there before? Well, I'm sorry. It was in there, but the definition of it. Oh, the object of the definition. Okay, yeah. I was saying. It's a non gendered <laughs> single pronoun. For the first time in the history of the English language, they is now a word. <laughs> Congratulations, everyone. We did it. It's a singular non-gendered pronoun so uh okay let's well, oh, say what's showing on okay the information is awesome the banter is epic except for this episode i want to add to my review one of my favorite things about these two is that they are so relatable yeah to to things that have happened in their lives to saying the things out loud we're all thinking or want to think yeah like <laughs> i have to burp they or want to think they're super grounded Fact check their info. Um, thanks for the Google Scholar tip. An emoji of a brain halo. exploding. Oh, that was a halo. No. <laughs> it's brain exploding. How would that make sense? I don't know. Because we're, 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 we're knowledge angels. It keeps you interested in listening all the way through. Oh, Hello. yeah. I want a t-shirt. Thanks. Yeah. That's going to be. So do we. I'm going to order a bunch of t-shirts. Okay. We always say that. No, I'm just going think to. we shouldn't say it. I'm going to today. You know what would be funny? To have our design as like a think bubble because there are already two people saying reverse and then psychology okay. and then have it in a think bubble. So is the design just a thought bubble with yeah. reverse psychology in yeah. it? Okay. With the our logo. Okay, that's cool. It should be a white t-shirt and then the thought bubble's red. Mm, yeah. Okay. Where would it be though? The booby? Two two thought bubbles <laughs> on the nips. So dumb. Oh, you know what would be really <laughs> Dumb as plain white t-shirt. I love the, that band. On the back in the tram stamp area is the reverse psychology logo. <laughs> <laughs> Not, no other markings on the shirt. Yeah, that'd be great. 
Hopefully no one tucks their shirt in. Tramp stamp. No, even better because then they like bend over we to get something and it. people are like, oh, is that reverse psychology? You know what else you should have on it? The whale tail and the like, yeah. so it just comes above the, you yeah. know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 the yeah, thong yeah. underwear. Yeah. So it just comes above the back of the, of the shirt. Of the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> whale like tail, tramp stamp. Yeah. The, uh, That's my favorite thing of the new millennium, I think. Oh, no, it's not new millennium. Well, is it? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So I'm going to Google whale tail. 2001. When you go on Wikipedia for a whale tail, there's just a picture of a random woman mm. with her underwear showing. Like, I wonder if she gave consent for that. So when did it come? The word up? was selected by the American Dialect Society in 2006. Oh. It's most creative word of 2005. Yeah, I remember. I mean, it was big and college well let's talk next week about our favorite things from the year first two decades oh we're ending a decade yeah um that's crazy 2020 that sounds like the future i know we're here not like like when we went from 2018 to 2019 didn't really sound like the future but now it sounds like the future Mm -hmm. i took the tires off my car in anticipation for it to be flying next year (laughs) so excited now it's just sitting on the axles. It's <laughs> just sitting on the axles. <laughs> Rusting. Good luck, good luck stealing it. Well, one of two things is going to happen. Either my car is going to be flying or Y2K is going to hit. Delayed. <laughs> Y20K? Y20K. Y220K? Yeah, Y2020K. So what are we got talking about today? Depression. Oh, this is our second... In Welcome a, to chapter two. In an installment of who knows how many... Okay, so today we're going to talk about a very specific theory of depression. Okay, we talked about one before, and that was the learned helplessness theory of depression coming from classical conditioning paradigm. So what is this? So this is, before I talk about it, I want to be very specific. Whereas your theory was targeting both how depression develops as well as how it, it is maintained. Okay. This is much more of a theory about what keeps depression going. Not What's it called? The interpersonal theory of depression. It's not how we develop it. No. So so the original theory was pretty clear about saying this isn't necessarily where depression comes from. One thing about depression is that it is what we refer to as equa finality. Okay. So that means that a bunch of different starting points can all yep. end at depression. So like learned helplessness is one way to get there, much like sure. a biological problem, like a problem with your thyroid or mm-hmm. like a blow to the head or aversive experience. Like all of these things can lead to depression. Mm-hmm. This is more of a theory where, yes, this stuff could lead to depression, but it's much more looking at once we are depressed, why do we tend to stay depressed? Okay. Um, who is it associated with? A man named Coyne. C-O-Y-N-E. C-O-Y-N-E. Not Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. Please take that out. No. It was fun. So 1976. Okay. Three years before I was born. Oh my God. That's awful. (sighs) Okay. In in a nutshell. Who? What's his first name? Wayne. Hold on, I'm look up. Because I feel like there's a lot of coins in psychology. I know, but not a lot of dollars. People just keep calling him coin in all these articles. Mm. Um, Save a first initial. You know who's who's a big name in this is uh, Joyner. Isn't that who Dr. Katie was talking about? I he, don't know. He's on the grant. Yeah, I should have listened more. I know. Jackie Joyner, Cursey. Yeah, coin. Pretend like I never asked and then move on. I know. Uh, Coin. So the the basic nutshell of this theory posits that when we feel depressed, often we take on interpersonal behaviors and attitudes that create a space of rejection. Mm -hmm. Mildly depressed people tend to seek reassurance as to whether or not others truly care about them. So it's a lot of like people taking steps towards reality testing one big hallmark of depression is people feeling this like looming sense of guilt and so often people will seek reassurance from other people like are you mad at me or what did i upset you for that or did did i fart or did you fart does that fart smell to you it smells too much no seriously i'm sorry when others provide reassurance people with depression often question is it sincere and they seek more reassurance and then does it drive people away yes this spiral establishes uh, a pattern which a depressed person will seek more frequent and extreme reassurances from others which will tend to induce a negative affect in others and create an actual rejection so it's kind of like we seek reassurance until the point where our feared rejection becomes reality but we i mean 
we, as in the person who is doing that behavior of seeking the depressee, the depressee, they don't, that's not what they think they're doing. They don't have a conscious awareness of this, do they? Well, I think that's a difficult... I can tell you from my personal experience. Yeah. yeah. Because I've been, well, I've been mildly depressed, moderately depressed, and severely depressed. Which is your favorite? (laughs) I don't know. I struggle with depression. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I think you've been always very open about that, which is good. Have I? Yeah. I don't know if I've talked about it that much. But I. Not here, but like every other moment of our lives. You just laugh your way through it. Yeah. Um, no, I. it's very controlled now, though. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a long journey of therapy and medication. Yeah. So I am happy to share more about it. But let's see. I can tell you, because I definitely have done that thing before of like seeking out reassurance. Mm-hmm. It, it feels really bad to be on the side of like really not knowing how people feel about you and not believing that they do feel a certain way about it. So I've never, I don't think I purposely ever did anything that was like, I hope that they get sick of me and I'm driving them away. Right. I think that part's not the intentional part. Yeah. The the part, the, the part of like seeking reassurance and trying to get people to tell you that you're important or like that you matter is a serious situation. Like it's very real. Yes, I definitely want to get more towards that the, the reassurance seeking stuff. Okay. But I want to kind of lay the groundwork for how we got to that point. I've also been the depressor where people have done that to me, and yes. I know how aversive it is. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be a really important thing to talk about too. Even though I know, and we can talk about this more, but even though I know what's happening with the person, it's still frustrating. It's still frustrating, and it's still like I can't I can't tell you this anymore. Like I I've yeah, you told sh- you, you just so many times. Yeah, please just trust me. So the original theory by Coyne, he didn't as cleanly lay out the, the reassurance-seeking stuff. He, he His theory is much more broad by basically saying, we feel depressed, we act depressed interpersonally, and then that causes more depression because then we're getting rejected by other people. And so a lot of the early research was looking at what moderates that relationship what makes it stronger and so they found some stuff for like self-disclosure so when people just start sharing too much which actually wasn't found to be super strong self-blame help-seeking behaviors difficulty in power roles because people are depressed often lead other people to be like you're in charge you have all the power which sometimes make people uncomfortable i feel like i i I feel like i I experience that with people I'm friends with who are more depressed, where I feel like sometimes the responsibility of their well-being is thrust onto me, where it's like, oh, I'm depressed. Just just call me when we have plans to do something or mm-hmm. uh, reach out and do this. It's like, I have my own yeah, shit to take no, care of. Yeah, no, it's really interesting to think about it from both sides, I think. like, And especially yeah. me having been on both sides and like realizing how much I have put on other people, but not being aware of it while I'm doing it. So I understand what you're saying because it, it's exhausting on both ends y- yes and i think that's the big thing is that it's both sides are just reacting to what's going on but i think that is a big piece of it where when we're depressed it's harder for us to get the motivation it's harder to have the energy but also there is that strong sense of guilt or impending doom where we don't want to put ourselves out there we want to like leave it up to other people but for the other people it feels a lot of responsibility to then make this other person feel better which can also burn people out but so anyways uh thomas joiner a guy whose first name i do know in 92, he was the first one that really started looking at the reassurance-seeking behaviors as the big driver in the interpersonal mm. stuff. So what he did was he studied depressed college-age students. How did he identify them? Uh, he identified them through, I think, a mass questionnaire using... Like maybe, a screener or something? Maybe depression? the PHQ-9 or the back mm. depression inventory. Can you explain those two things really quick? So the PHQ-9, it, if, if you ever come across it, you're most likely to come across it in like your primary care doctor's office. It's nine questions long and it's asking over the past two weeks the key signs of depression. So it's things like feeling down and depressed, low motivation, changes in appetite, changes in sleep. And how do you respond to it? Um, Just yes or no? How many days over the past two weeks have you experienced it? So it'll say like one to 14? It's no days, less than half, half. Almost every day. Hmm. It's not super sensitive. Right. It's more looking at just like broad your, spots. Well, it's like your perception too. Yeah. yeah. It, it goes on the, the frequency. How often does this thing happen for you? The BDI, which is another one, it's 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 almost the same thing. It's just asking over the past two weeks. The BDI may be a one, one week one. Doesn't matter. But it's also, it's looking at how often does this happen? But the BDI is much more about how severe is it? 
Mm-hmm. The PHQ doesn't really get to that. It's not like we're not saying beady eyes, like you have a little beads no, for eyes. No, the like, inventory. Yeah, I just want to clarify. Yeah, snake eyes. Um, I tried to actually give the Beck depression inventory recently. Costs money. Well, it does a, and then B, I had an online administration of it. Um, was sending it out to someone and then it said, oh, that person is, it was for the parent, but they said, oh, that person's too young for this mm-hmm. measure. And I was like, oh, I think it's like eight and older only. I think so. So there's like a caregiver one and then there's a self-report one. Doesn't yeah. matter. There's other there's other indices if you need them. Yes. But the, the PHQ-9 is the most popular one because it's free, essentially. Oh, cool. That's good to know. Yeah. There's also a briefer version that primary care is usually used. <laughs> the 9? What? There's a briefer version than nine questions? Two. <laughs> yeah. It's it's have you felt down and depressed? Have you lost motivation? Are you serious? That mm-hmm. seems like a terrible idea. It's it's it, For I, those of you who want to know, the shorter a questionnaire is, the less reliable and valid so it is. I see it from both sides. It, oh, it, I mean it, okay. it, it is it is very short, so it's not super effective, but it is great buy-in for primary care doctors who don't want to ask about depression. That's such such a shitty thing to say it, out loud. It is, but they are often very wary of mental health and it's often don't know super what to do. So it's it's the majority of people that first report depression report it to their primary cares and often they're not asked about it. And yeah. and mo- the majority of antidepressants are prescribed by yeah. primary care bad. doctors. Also, just want to say, bad idea. What's that? Having them prescribing it? Yes. Taking medication for any sort of psychiatric illness mm. through your primary care doctor. Not being med-managed. We're going to talk about that later. And it's the, the reality. So I do like the idea of a two-item, which has, I mean, it's flaws, but at least it's like lowering the workload for the doctor. I mean, I'm thinking even where I work, where... I'm a psychologist on site waiting to help and still people are very reluctant to talk about mental illness type stuff. So I'm now imagine a primary care doctor in the community without mental health on site. Like, and so it is, it can, it's either way, but Thomas Joyner identified college age students and he was looking at reassurance behaviors in these students. And he divided them basically into two general groups, people that sought reassurance from others and people mm. that did not. He found that the students that were more likely to seek reassurance were also more likely to be rejected by their same-sex peers five weeks later than those that did not. Makes sense. Key distinction that isn't often talked about, that that was found among men, not women. So men oh. are much more likely to reject their peers if they that seek makes reassurance. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. And then I like how you... Well, and it doesn't take into consideration if they're GLBTQ or yeah, this, cis. Yeah, this Wait, is... Wait, not cisgender. <laughs> This if is, they're straight or not. Yeah. So, so this is but, also in 92. And yeah. so a lot of those things were just not looked at. And so this is looking at just people who are depressed. Who's more likely to get rejected socially? And it's dudes that overly seek reassurance. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Why does this happen? Any hypotheses on why, like, why that cycle happens where we keep seeking reassurance? Well, I was wondering that because it's um like from a behaviorist perspective, it's a strange behavior in that it doesn't lead to relief. It sounds like the behavior itself of asking is being positively reinforced because the person's more likely to do it more in the future. Mm -hmm. Maybe then it's because they get some short-term relief out of it. And then, I don't know. Well, you tell me. So, I will tell you. And then maybe we can collaborate on a metaphor or a parallel so it's easier for people to remember it. But Swan, who is a big name in social psychology, he basically said that people with negative self-view, so people who are depressed, Mm -hmm. tend to have an aversion to positive feedback. And they're less likely to believe positive feedback. What's positive feedback? Praise feedback, essentially. Like, oh, you look so good today. Yeah. So you look good today. You're smart. Those types of things. Okay. And so people who are depressed, they tend to be caught in the crossfire of two driving goals, self-enhancement and cognitive reassurance. Imagine if you're depressed, Mm -hmm. if you can can imagine it. I don't know. I've never been depressed. I've never felt it. (laughs) Internally, you have this guilt and this kind of lingering doom but it's like it's driven from a biological standpoint okay your brain is saying something in environments causing this but it's just a biological thing going on yeah and so you ask someone because you want relief from this feeling are you mad at me you're looking for this this enhancement them saying no i'm not mad at you blah 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 blah. Hmm. they say it like oh good they're not mad at me but this feeling's still here why is there this disconnect that disconnect causes doubt which is like well 
I'm still feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're lying. Maybe this, maybe that. All these alternative explanations. Mm-hmm. So we're driven to remove that doubt. Yeah, that, yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying behaviorally, which mm-hmm. is like, there's something you're getting out of it because you're doing it more in the future, right? Like it's somehow yeah. positively reinforcing, but it's maybe the effect is very short-lived and it doesn't remove enough aversive. What's well, kind of like if you have, what's that, what's that disorder where like you don't feel full? Oh, Prater Willie. Yeah, it's kind of like that where like, like you have this drive to remove this feeling. Mm. So you eat and it might remove it and the, the act of eating might remove it. But the moment you stop eating, the feeling comes back. Yeah. Your coping style isn't, you're never, yeah, and you're never satiated. Like you can never get enough. Exactly. So this same thing with depression, where you you have this. It's like if you rolled your ankle and you're like, oh, if I just walk on it long enough, it'll make it feel better. But you just keep like re-injuring that mm. ankle. It's like the coping strategy is not the right thing to treat the thing. Well, like we're coming up with a lot of metaphors. My the the, the metaphor I use the most for depression, which mm. seems to kind of latch on with people, is rabies. <laughs> you were gonna say something else. So. Do you know how rabies works, Diana? Um, no. So rabies. How does it work? Good question. I'll answer it. So rabies <laughs> is an interesting virus where the before like any of the real bad signs start, the first thing it does is attacks the part of your brain that controls thirst. And it basically mm. gets you to dehydrate yourself. And there's like the, an aversion to drinking water because the virus can spread more easily when your body's dehydrated. Hmm. So it's kind of the same thing where th- w- w- when you're depressed and your brain's in that depressed mode, it wants to keep you there. And so it's going to... Like it gives you the encouragement to keep like feeding this doubt. Why does your brain want to keep you depressed? Well, I mean, one idea behind depression in general is that it's your brain in a conservation mode. It's it, your brain. It's that feeling of you're overtaxed. Your brain is trying to conserve energy. So it's trying to get you to do less stuff. And so it's like a protective mechanism. Okay. That's, that's one theory. All right. Another theory is that spirits possessing you <laughs> that want to be there. Cool. Just kind of in a nutshell, because the, big, the bigger thing I want to talk about is from this theory how do you treat it this overarching cycle a person's depressed they feel detached or isolated from peers also fucking miserable yeah. i just want to say that it's not anything that you it's, want it's not a good feeling yeah they feel detached they feel isolated from peers so they seek reassurance to counter that feeling this develops a conflict between self-enhancement and self-verification that creates doubt we seek reassurance to absolve the doubt and the cycle keeps going until the doubt is satisfied because we get rejected eventually. Then then all like the a, things yeah. map onto each other. Hmm. Unfortunately, our brains are more motivated to be correct. And so that feeling of doubt goes away when everyone is mad at you. But okay, so it's almost like the theory presupposes that like you have some learning history of pushing people away. So you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's it's kind of hard to have a theory that operates both on you and on other people. Yeah. Like it, it's a weird It's basically saying that you're creating an you're you're unintentionally creating an environment that is going to increase the chances that what you fear is going to happen. Yeah. I I mean I get it and I see it happening but the th- I don't know. I'm only just try to think through it while okay. you're talking. So, this led the way to what we know as interpersonal therapy mm. for depression mm-hmm. ipt have you ever done ipt nope i don't know if i've had it done to me either hmm so ipt is it's been found to be effective for mild to moderate forms of depression okay so you you had said before these like you've lived in the three categories mm-hmm. what, what what would like mild and what would moderate depression be um like the difference like the marker yeah i guess it, it'd just be like when you were talking about the number of days you felt certain ways would so be more intense for longer mm-hmm. would be the distinction between mild and moderate the level of impairment yeah i think i always think about like the cost too like if you're still going to work like if you feel awful and it's a lot of work but you're still going to work you're still maintaining stuff like your hygiene and stuff like it's a mild depression where well i let me just interject there <laughs> okay you, um, you already did i think that i was a highly functional depressed person though mm-hmm. so i think even though like i might have felt more moderately depressed like just internally what i was feeling i yeah. still functioned yeah that, as that, a from a diagnostic standpoint that's why i don't really like the mild mild, moderate, depressed terminology because it, it makes it sound like in a way for some people it punishes people for 
really like gritting their teeth through stuff. Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've seen people that per the report, it's mild, but they use it as a reason to not go to work or do these other things where I also met like very severely depressed people that drag themselves through every day. Mm-hmm. But the criteria is like deficits in areas. I feel uncomfortable calling people who very clearly are really struggling. Like, this is mild because yeah. you haven't lost your job yet. Yeah. Once, once you lose your job, come back. Like I was the kind of, well, I don't know. I was the kind of person that like, like if I would tell people, yeah, I suffer from depression, they'd be like, you? Like, because I seemed really extroverted and, but then now it makes, well, now it makes sense. I think in retrospect that there were other symptoms that people mistook for other things, like irritability. Yes. I think that's a big one that people miss as far as depression goes. Mm-hmm. So originally this therapy was developed for adults, but now it's actually a recommended treatment for children as well. Important note, again, that the theory states that the relationships you're in or the environment wasn't the original cause of depression. Instead, it says that the depression occurs in an interpersonal context. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, and it affects your relationships. And actually from a very old school standpoint, Freud had this idea where the two markers of mental wellness are being able to hold a job and maintain relationships. Mm-hmm. And so this therapy is basically saying depression is affecting relationships. If we can strengthen your relationships, the depression will get better as a result of it. Mm-hmm. The whole goal is addressing interpersonal problems and issues that will eventually allow you to tap into your social network more effectively and then reduce depression. Okay. Does that make sense? I get it. Yeah. I've done this or I use a lot of the elements of this in therapy. I I love doing interpersonal therapy. I find it really fun. It's really liberating Mm. as a therapist because one of the big, one of the big things is like, when you did this, this is the impact. Like, mm-hmm. is that what you wanted? W- one of the problems with feeling depressed, much like feeling anxious, like, it, with our friends and sometimes with our family, very rarely do people call a timeout and be like, oh, when you said that, it, it made I'd it... I'd love s- to have a timeout. I mean, I mean, there's times in friendship where I'm like, when, when you said that, it seems like you don't like me. Like, was that the goal or mm. was your goal something else? But in therapy, like, that's the big thing with this style of therapy where if I... Uh, like a great example that happened a couple days ago in therapy. I was working through goal setting with this guy and he was just like giving me like reason that won't work, reason won't work. I'm like, all right, I'm going to stop really quick. You gave like three great reasons why this won't work, but it feels like you're working against this goal. Is that your intention? And he's like, no, no, no. I just feel like really hopeless. I'm like, yeah, that's a better thing to say because right now you're working against the progress. Let's Mm -hmm. back up and start over. So I'd love to have this like speaking of Christmas coming up next week. Mm. Um, I'd love to have this like a timeout card for some of my family members that I can put down and be like, when you said that, did you know you were a bitch? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you said that, did you know you're being a total dick? I'm just wondering. Was that your goal? Yeah. Was that your goal? And and it's it's funny because I I will, sometimes I watch you interact with your family and I will assume the role of a director in my mind i'm like oh i don't like I've, we need to rework this dynamic it is it is not popping on screen <laughs> but but that's kind of as a therapist you're kind of you're treating this as you're a director it's like let's rework this because your strategy interpersonally is not working mm-hmm. and that's and that's the big thing like, often people are coming off in a way that is not intended like when we feel like when we feel, when we feel unheard we'll act in a certain way and we might come off like an asshole or dismissive. And it's like, that's not the goal. The goal is referring to a fight we had this morning. (laughs) No, but I was trying to not refer to it directly. (laughs) Just for, just for those of you who wonder what happens when the mics turn off. Yeah. And the get, we get real. I know it's fighting, leading to lovemaking, leading to podcasting. (laughs) This morning I was cleaning and I was feeling like I do a lot of the deep cleaning around here. Mm -hmm. Couch vacuuming, et cetera. Mike was in the kitchen making himself a delicious burrito. Mm-hmm. And then I looked up and saw Mike eating a delicious burrito. And I went into the kitchen and I had a little bit of a, sna- a snap. I mm-hmm. He said, can I make you anything? Which was also a weird question because he was mid-burrito. Yeah. But it was sweet. It was a sweet sentiment. He's, Thank you. And then I kind of got a little upset irritable mm-hmm. irritated my perspective is you said i'm gonna vacuum real quick and then we we need to start recording and then i hadn't eaten yet and i was like oh i'm gonna crash real quick so i'm gonna run and eat real quick mm. and then i started eating because plus i was starting to feel really lightheaded and i started eating and then when you stopped vacuuming and then i was like oh can i make you anything thinking like oh you probably should also eat before we start i became very task oriented which was also not appropriate oh and so i think we both had a little snafu yeah 
so I I was feeling underappreciated. Mm, I and, was feeling hungry. Yeah. And so anyways, we had a little bit a little tiff. Yeah. I think in the moment we did a good job to identify that we weren't neither of us were being effective in what was really going on. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't communicating well. You were hungry. <laughs> yeah. I, it was eleven thirty and I didn't eat yet. <laughs> All right. Okay. But yeah, that, that is a big part of this treatment. It's it's basically teaching people to harness that feeling and express it in a way that is closer to their intentions. So the goal of IPT, rapid reduction of symptoms and improved social adjustment. And to be completely honest, much more on the latter than the former. Like the goal explicitly is improving how you function socially and hoping that impacts your symptoms. Are you explicit about it when you are doing the like checking in and like asking if that was your goal? Are you explicit about like, Mm, this is maybe how things are operating in the outside world as well for you. Yeah. So so usually with this, I love every office I work in, I have to have a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. I like to draw stuff yeah, out. Yeah, I do too. And so with this especially, I draw out if usually within the first meeting you can kind of like you can kind of tell if this is going to be an appropriate therapy. So so going back to the original like Thomas Joyner study, not everyone who's depressed engages in these types of behaviors. Sure. And so for someone like that, like cognitive behavioral therapy might be effective because mm. it, it might just be like a skills thing. Like let's get you behaviorally activated. Mm-hmm. Here's how you cope. But if you're doing this first appointment and you feel like they're doing a lot of apologizing or if you just get this sense of an interpersonal dynamic, mm-hmm. it, it might be appropriate. And so usually I'll say, oh, there's a theory of depression. Let me lay it out and see if this is what, how it feels for you. This is also really good if people like have complaints about like, oh, my friends are really tired of me or I, I don't have anyone to hang out with or I get in conflicts at work a lot and stuff yeah. like that. And then I'll, I'll draw the whole cycle. And I'm like, oh, does this seem to sit well with you? And they're like, well, it seems to make sense. And then I lay out like, oh, let's work on this. Let's make you more effective. That'll probably help a lot with the other stuff. Okay. So I'm, I'm pretty explicit about we're going to make you less difficult to be around. <laughs> Yeah, because, well, I can tell you from a personal perspective, um, feeling like you're difficult to be around is another fucking terrible. Like, you already oh, feel awful. Yeah, you already feel terrible, and then you feel terrible for feeling terrible for people to be around. And it's just this agonizing situation that you have to live through. Yeah. And it's constantly anxiety provoking. Another layer of that, too, is if your intention is not to be difficult, and you feel like you are being difficult, <laughs> there is a, when you have a discrepancy like that, where you feel like you're being perceived in a way that you're not intending, you start to self-monitor more, mm-hmm. which takes a lot of brain power, which then will also lead to more depression and anxiety because mm-hmm. your brain's just drained. Mm-hmm. And so you're actually like stuck in this cycle. God, it's so it's so interesting to talk about this because I, I would never say, I think I'm like in depression remission. Like I never feel like I'm completely free from it because yeah. it's longstanding for me, but it's been a while and I'm grateful. It's been a while. And uh, I just even talking about this makes me feel anxious because I'm like, oh, I really don't want to get back there again. I mm. really, really don't want to. But I, I think I've now lived long enough on the other side that I have so many experiences that I, it doesn't make sense for me anymore mm-hmm. but i could be wrong yeah but now i know what to do that's the yeah. other point well it's i'm gonna important. give you some more tips just the tip just i'm gonna give you just the tip you're gonna have to work the rest of it <laughs> the the therapy itself is about 12 to 16 weeks mm-hmm. if you're if you're meeting every week okay and that's that's like a rule of thumb the, the research shows generally it'll take like three to four months of consistent therapy because a lot of it is early on you identify one or two specific social problems and you really work through in therapy modifying those problems. Mm-hmm. The big thing, especially if you're in, if you're getting into interpersonal therapy, one of the big things is to avoid the problem of the week type thing because you really want to find like the big picture stuff and really work on the big picture. What's a problem of the week? So if problem of the week, 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 it's creepy and it's kooky. It. Let's say if you if you come in week one and you're like, I got into a fight with a coworker, and then you and the therapist just focus on the fight. Mm. And then week two, you come in, you're like, Oh, my like I'm really mad because my brother didn't call me back. And then you just focus on that. And then week three, it's like, All right, well, I like everyone seemed to be 
mean to me at Publix. Then you like you just focus on that. You kind of want to pull back the lens and be like, let's how work. does this fit into the bigger picture? Exactly. Like maybe the big thing is you at work or like you with your friend group, and then then it's a little bit easier to generalize. You at Publix. You at Publix. You as a grocery shopper. <laughs> And so essentially in therapy across these three to four months, you narrow down to one or two really key areas that seem to be more problematic or areas that if they were working well would help with your depression. And you focus on those. The individual signs of depression aren't really focused on. And so we don't like I, I don't check in on how's your sleep? How's your eating? Are you feeling sad? How's your motivation? Like all those other things. It's just narrowly on you in that problem area with with the hope that as the problem area gets better you feel less depressed Mm -hmm. so there's four key problems that you would focus on in interpersonal therapy uh one is interpersonal dispute or conflict so this might just be you like you and a partner you and your friends you and your family type thing role transitions and so if you are transitioning roles at work or if like what does that mean? So like if you if you get a, a promotion at work and it's causing a lot of stress, which is causing a lot of depression, or mm-hmm. if you're like if your job changed, or if you had a child and so now you're a parent, you're not just a like a wild and crazy person. Um, grief. This is a big therapy for grief and interpersonal deficits. This is like more globally. Like I struggle with my friends. I struggle it, making friends. Is it grief in the sense that like you? have difficulty dealing with something in like some tragic event in your life. And then you have problems with interpersonal relationships as a result. Yep. Especially if you're struggling with grief in the context of your social group too. So like if let's like someone in your family died and you're struggling with grief, but because of that, it's really alienating the people in your family. Like, like if you feel like, like, Oh, I feel like my family is not being supportive of my grief. We're now really fighting a lot and it's causing me a lot of distress on top of all this. And so there's some key methods within this. Okay. One is clarification. So what do you think? What do you think? Just, just the word. What do you think that would mean? Help, 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 me, help me clarify what clarification Like what's is. your goal? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Like, well, when you said that, this is what it's, this is what I got of it. Is that all of it? Like mm-hmm. when you said that I was like going back to the, the, uh, the fight we had, um, <laughs> I don't think I, I did it in a very, I hopefully didn't do it in like a therapist voice, but we did get to the point where I was like, oh, like you're upset that I was making, I was eating food. Like, is that all it was? And then you're like, no, I feel. You didn't ask me that. We got to it more organically. Than that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm, I'm fast tracking the fight. Yeah. Um, But no, but we clarified like, no, it's a lot more about, it was a lot of things that weren't said or weren't very explicit in the mm-hmm. moment. And that, and that was more helpful. So oh, there's like a better place to come from supportive listening. So basically teaching people how to like listen supportively. I feel like this is my fear that I do it, but I feel like when people, there's certain people in my life who also, when I talk to them, sometimes it feels like they're waiting for their turn to talk. And so I think mm. this is, and I feel like, I feel like that <laughs> is the thing with a lot. I'm not talking about you, mm-hmm. uh, um, mm-hmm. but I think that some, I feel like mm-hmm. this is also like a skill to teach in therapy. It's like how to listen and reflect and not just like wait your turn and then start talking again. Do you feel mm-hmm. like I do that? Your smile says I yes. I feel like sometimes... Sometimes I get really excited. I grab your leg under the table in social events mm-hmm. because you are talking a lot and not listening to what other people say. I know. Sometimes in social events, I get in the mode of entertaining people mm-hmm. and then I don't... Mm-hmm. I'm not effective. True. Role playing is a big part of this. So you might do a uh, let's let's flip this. Mm-hmm. Let's you play you play me and I'll play you or I'll play your dad and you're going to play the mailman and <laughs> working on just like how does this come across? And, and that's a big thing. So like I not, not that last one, but like when I used to work in a place where I could record my sessions, often I would like play back tape of what they said to me. It's really powerful. Or I like I will like I write down what they said and then I will like read it back to them and be like, all right, I'm going to say what you said to me. How does it sound? And then they'll come back like, well, that's not what I said. It's like, it's what you said, but was it what you meant? Two more communication analysis. So again, just like just more clarification work. But the, the last one is encouragement of your feelings and affect. This is really targeting people who are depressed and try to suppress it or not look depressed. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, that, that would come off as someone who's like more angry or agitated. Mm-hmm. And so it's really encouraging like, yes, and I'm like, yeah, you're depressed. And like, this is how you get your point across. Like you, you need to acknowledge that you're feeling this way. And mm-hmm. people didn't know you're feeling this way, but there, you don't need to, 
like act out of depression. I wonder too if as a depressor, not the depressee, so the receiver of the depression. Okay, as like in the, the friend. The popsicle stick of the dynamic? Huh? Like the, the tongue depressor? No, like if you're the receiver of the depression. Yeah, the receiver of the depression. Yeah. Like the friend of the depressed okay. person with depression. Depression's plus one. <laughs> yeah. So what I do, what I try to do, or what I want to do. When you're depressed or when you're in therapy? What, neither. When I'm the friend of someone who's depressed okay. is be like just to have my own boundaries mm-hmm. around it because like it is it's exhausting mm-hmm. to and it's funny because i've had people say to me before like well aren't you a psychologist like oh yeah you know what i mean like aren't you a psychologist like shouldn't you be able to like talk through this or whatever but it's like that's my profession that's mm-hmm. not my personal life like I, I, just because i'm a psychologist doesn't mean i want people's energy people to deplete my energy in my personal yeah. friendships right so it's more about self-care for me and my personal friendships than it is me trying to help them yeah because it's not my role yeah um but so when i have friends who i feel like are going through a lot uh and obviously i'm there for them as much as i can be and then if it's something bigger than what i think i can handle as a friend i will talk to them about like hey have you maybe talked to a therapist about this mm-hmm. or you know i don't know talk about other like strategies that they might have or help them you know whatever yeah, and yeah. and not take it on as a therapist or as a like mental health professional yeah it's a weird power dynamic and also to in let it. them know how their behavior affects me, maybe. Like, yeah. hey, I totally know you're going through something, but when you ask me a lot if I'm mad at you or, you know, something related to that, it's kind of hard for me to keep checking back in. Yeah. You know, just having those personal yeah, space. Absolutely. Things. For some people, it's like, hey, like it's hard because you only seem to call when you're. Mm depressed or when you're mm-hmm. angry so when i see your name pop up on my phone like i know like okay like it feels much more like a, a therapist dynamic versus like a friend yeah. that will call for whatever not yeah. just for the the bad stuff totally. so big question totes yes does this therapy work so there's a, a, a meta-analysis it's from t- 2011 so it's, it's study eight, of studies it's eight years old it looks at 16 Aww. studies of ipt that's not that many no there's not for a, a meta-analysis yeah. Yeah, I know. I think there's probably more studies now. There hasn't been an updated uh, meta-analysis that I was able to find. Okay. Uh, so compared to no treatment, there is a moderate effect size. Okay. Meaning that it, it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, it seems to work. Compared to other th- treatments, other therapies, so cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that, there was a very, very mild, non-significant favoring for IPT. So it's 0.04. Why would you even report it if it was non-significant? I don't know. It was written that way in the article. Yeah, like, no, I know. I'm, a not, mild I'm favor- not asking yeah. you why you would report it. I'm just asking why would the they authors sh- report it? I think they're trying to make more out of it than it really was. Yeah, no, you shouldn't report that. Um, but yeah, well, you, you should report it as it's just as good as other therapies, which, which yeah. th- that yeah, is good. Exactly. That's it, exactly it'd be bad say. if cognitive behavioral therapy was better. Si- significantly better right. or things like that. But it's like, it's just as good right. as CBT. Right. Which would, that is good to know because if you're like a good depression therapist, you want to keep it in your toolkit because <laughs> it's, I'm a depression therapist. It's effective. It's as effective as CBT and it's a different approach than CBT. So if someone's done CBT, or someone's done IPT, it means that you can do the uh, the other one and still it would still have some merit and some benefit. Um, compared to other meds, SSRIs are actually more effective than IPT. Really? Mm-hmm. In this in this one study, looking at people who just took SSRIs versus people who just hmm. took IPT, but combination that was looking at the initial response, not long term okay. remission. Sure. SSRIs and IPT combined led to the best yes. r- remission rate. That's what I say about all therapies. Yeah. So and that's and that's what the frustrating thing when people will often point to the short-term benefit of therapy. So it's like at at the end of eight weeks, you are this well. It is it different than meds? But the idea is if you can keep doing the the therapy, the benefit keeps growing. Things keep getting better. And ideally, when you look down the road, six months, a year, two years. You're hopefully much better off than you were because you're still doing these really beneficial things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if I teach you to bench press, I hope your strength is better by the end of the month of us working together. But if you keep doing it correctly, in theory, you're going to keep getting stronger. You're not going to level off and be at that level of strength forever. So IPT is good in the long run with medication. Cool. 
So what else? What else? Oh, um, anyone. Uh, this is a good time to, I think, bring out the depression series that we're doing because it's time for sad. Seasonal affective disorder. Yep. And it's also the holidays, which is also a hard sad. time for people. <laughs> Present company included. Mm. <laughs> we People keep being like, oh, are you excited to go to California? We're like, yeah, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We just keep sell- telling yeah. ourselves that. It's going to be yeah. great. It'll be great. It'll be great. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, I packed my Switch. I'm going to play video games on the plane. Packed my running shoes. Going to run. Yep. We've got all our coping skills. All our coping skills. All our coping tools. Yeah. It's going to be great. I'm bringing my toolbox. Bring my toolbox. With full my of coping tools. My BT. <laughs> um, and my cards, my timeout cards for people when they... Should start saying things that are shitty i also want to pack a couple of like flags like in football and then so from across the room i could just throw it and be like inappropriate a political talk 10 minute penalty and then they go outside for 10 minutes <laughs> that i would love it if your family let me be the ref of christmas <laughs> if i I've, i don't have to talk to anyone i just patrol throw a flag blow the whistle you would be too busy there'd need to be like two or three of you oh uh, well i'm gonna hire two line refs it's like yeah i was gonna say i'm gonna go like to lowe's and, p- and pick up two day laborers <laughs> and they're gonna come help me oh man it's mm-hmm. a good one thank you all right dude all right bro it's been good talking to you i will see you next week okay right. see you then love, love you, you. Bye. bye What else? Uh, if you are enjoying this, don't forget. Oh, <laughs> if you're enjoying this, if you're having a fun time, we're having a fun time, and we want to keep having a fun time. So, uh, be sure if you haven't yet, leave a review on iTunes. Yes, please. Um, ideally, five stars. Say what you like about it. We'll read it and, l- and let your friends know. Because the the bigger the community grows, the more reach we can have, the more fun stuff we hey, can do. Last we looked, there were like two hundred something listens to our last episode. And we think that all those people, if you liked it, yeah, if you liked leave it, a review. Yeah. And be, in reality, because the more, that's the we best. We should probably say this at the beginning because I feel like people don't hold on this long. I'm going to, they don't. But yeah, so that's the best way to get, have it be higher on the list. So when people search for yes. like psychology podcasts, yes. it shows up. So if you want more people to listen to this, um, like we do, just leave a quick review. Let us know that you like it. And then uh, we will keep doing it as long as you keep liking it. Thanks for all your updated reviews, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. It. We love it. We're going to be better in the new year. Uh, we're going to have a fun next week. We'll, Ooh, I can't wait to talk about New Year's resolutions. We'll do New Year's resolutions for the podcast. If you guys have any resolutions for yourself or for things you want us to do, uh, comment on our <laughs> Facebook page and then we will read them and we'll choose some things you want us to do in the new year. Here, here are your our resolutions for you. Yeah. One, more kissing on the air. Two, have Leroy on. <laughs>